Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex. This week it's following the Hungarian Grand Prix. We're going to wrap that race up for you. Uh, we've got the mid-season break to look forward to as well finally. Get a bit of a break from all the racing. But yeah, you know, we've had eight races in ten weeks basically and this Hungarian Grand Prix was the end of that and um you know, where do we begin? Uh, probably not the outcome we were hoping for, but nevertheless, a still, a still um, a very critical race as far as the championship is concerned. So, as always, I'm Juad, joined by Baden, and um, Hungary, yeah, sixth Grand Prix win for Lewis Hamilton in Hungary, dominated the race from pole, um, unlikely result, obviously, because we thought Ferrari would strike back after Germany, but because of the wet qualifying that we had on Saturday and the front row lockout for Mercedes, it was um, basically all for them there to win on Sunday. It must be said the way that weekend panned out. Thank God that uh, it's coincided with the the four week break. I think after what happened a week earlier at uh, Germany, uh, everyone was really a bit deflated from from what we saw. That promise of Ferrari stealing a march and it uh, just went completely pear shaped. So we reflect on on Mercedes there. Kudos to them and, and to Hamilton. They've really seize that initiative and Ferrari has to regather itself very quickly because uh, as we've mentioned numerous times this was the point of the season where it all just imploded for them 12 months ago. Yeah it was uh, 12 months ago indeed and perhaps more so the second half of the season after the break but as far as Hungary the race itself is concerned so Mercedes win they've won back-to-back races obviously from Germany and now Hungary with Lewis Hamilton and for the race itself um what ultimately unfolded for Sebastian Vettel was that slow pit stop. That was probably the defining moment of the race. The fact that, you know, he exited behind Valtteri Bottas, lost that position, and then basically holed up behind Bottas until lap 65, where ultimately there was contact when um, Seb got past at turn three. And, and then, then, then he blocked uh, Bottas, and clearly he, he was lucky not to get a penalty, if you oh, believe yeah, the Sky t- Crew. Yeah, totally, yeah. It was all Vettel's fault, you know, basically. So, yeah, he should <laughs> Hard have been not to be given a 10-second penalty or just disqualified from the race for that if uh, Martin Brundle was, say, the head steward. Hopefully he never gets to that position. Um one day but yeah so that was basically the defining moment of the race when uh, that pit stop ruined Seb's race and then basically until lap 65 we know Hungary's a notoriously bad track for overtaking but given the fact that his car had the better tyres it was a stronger car he just couldn't get past Bottas and then it got to the stage where Kimi Raikkonen ended up coming following his teammate and it was like well do Ferrari give Kimi the opportunity to get past Bottas and at least um, you know is there enough laps left to perhaps have Kimi push for the win or something but unfortunately that didn't happen Um, in the end they didn't get Kimi to pass Seb but they both got on the podium in the end with Bottas dropping to fourth and then of course being wounded uh, he had front wing damage on the penultimate lap. We saw Daniel Ricciardo trying to get past him at turn one, but because of the understeer, Bottas almost took Ricciardo out of the race. And yeah, so he was given a 10-second penalty, even though he finished fifth. It didn't really change his position in the end. So a bit of a pointless penalty, you could say. But yeah, for Bottas, it really unfolded as well. So a terrible, terrible race for him. And we'll talk more about that later with 
the comments that came after the race as far as um, his position in the team, the wingman referred to by Toto Wolff. So, you know, it wasn't a good race for Ferrari and for Valtteri Bottas either. you got to feel for all of them. Uh, again, without um, paying out too much on Hamilton, it's really fallen into his lap the past fortnight and, and kudos to him for being in position. But it's hard not to look at that first half of the season and you see these um, critical moments, he always seems to be the benefactor and the rest of them get screwed over, none more so than than Bottas. Vettel's perhaps been a little bit um, hasty and, and, and desperate and it's not always paid off. And this time, coupled with that pit stop, and we saw him being delayed behind Carlos Sainz, I believe, for, for nine blue flags, they said before the Spaniard got the message, maybe some retribution for the Austria hold-up in qualifying, who, who knows there, but um, you can imagine the frustration from Vettel and then from Bottas being consigned into that rear gunner role, and then he gets a little bit clumsy with that um, late breaking in, into Ricardo, and you can't really hold it against him, and you've just got to hope that his morale doesn't um, sag in the second half of the season when you hear what Toto Wolff did say afterwards. Yeah, and um, the fact that given in Germany we already talked about how at the end of the race he was in the faster car, he had the better tyres, yet Mercedes wanted him to hold station, so you know they could have easily given Bottas the win or he could have taken it fair and square, but at the same time, then this time they left him out. You could say on those uh, tires, they didn't sec- they didn't give him a second pit stop like they did for the Ferrari. So you know, perhaps Bottas could have been quicker, or well, he would have been quicker. Perhaps he could have scored the podium. Let me rephrase myself. If they had pitted him that second time, but they didn't. So in a way, I certainly felt like Mercedes left. You know, we talked about Ferrari leaving Kimi Raikkonen out to dry many occasions this season. I felt that, you know, Mercedes left Bottas out to dry this time just to protect Hamilton's lead, but ultimately cost themselves um, two cars on the podium through that. Oh, it's at a stage even, as we've seen with Ferrari. It doesn't matter how competitive this notional second driver may be. They're happy to um, to see them relegated to third or dare we say as low as fifth just for the sake of Hamilton or Vettel to, to perhaps have a win so you can see that one one twos are very secondary to getting their their leading drivers even though they're, they're really on merit you can see that uh, more so Bottas and Raikkonen but both of them have had pretty decent campaigns certainly an improvement on on last season but they're just not being given a hope at all of, of contending unless the other two are out of the equation and Bottas as well just has had such rotten luck this season and I'm sure we'll talk more about it when we recap the first half of the season um, in a week's time but yeah it's just another unfortunate thing and then of course you know he's right to say that he's hurt by the comments of his boss afterwards uh, that you know he feels like you know he's just been consigned into this wingman role so yeah not something Bottas would want especially after last year he won three Grand Prix he would have thought he'd be in championship contention but he's more than 80 points behind now and I th- it's it's pretty much over for him this season but um, moving it on anyway to, to Red Bull then of course so Daniel Ricciardo ended up finishing fourth ahead of Bottas it was a power unit related retirement for Max Verstappen and I guess the outburst. Has it been every race this season one Red Bull's had a failure? That's what it feels like. It feels like that, yeah. We've not had Red Bull finish, you know, they've been strong at a few races but it's always one or the other car that's up there so... 
Daniel Ricardo's out. Uh, Daniel Ricardo, sorry, scores fourth, and then Max Verstappen's out. And I guess the outburst that he had on the radio over Renault's reliability said it all. That the even though they're breaking up next year, it's still frustrating that they can't get the results that they want. I think yeah, for for Verstappen, it's hard not to empathise when he's had that turnaround in form since his his skirmishes earlier on and. Daniel Ricciardo has been in a bit of malaise since that win at uh, Monaco, so it was good for him to bank fourth, but you can see that potential coming into the weekend. They'd be both bitterly frustrated when we thought they might have had the, the best car on that circuit, and to come away with only a minor placing uh, just uh, illustrates where they, they're at, and they really just can't get to 2019 fast enough. Yeah, you know, what does the future hold for them with Honda as well, um, switching from Renault? But, yeah, it's just a big question mark over the Renault reliability. Seriously, you know, at this stage, we didn't think that they would still be in this situation where, you know, each race they're having a power unit failure. Now, last time out in Germany, of course, Daniel Ricciardo had to take all those penalties to get a new power unit in, and then lo and behold, he has a engine failure in the race, which takes him out. So, you know, are they going to have to take more penalties as the year goes on because they've exceeded that maximum of three? You know, can they win another race before the year's out as well? Because certainly we thought in Hungary, they'd be strong because it's a circuit that doesn't rely so much on the power and their chassis has been strong as we saw in Monaco, but just the reliability side wasn't there for them this time. So who knows if they'll, say, come Singapore or Suzuka, will they get the chance to be able to show their hand and perhaps go for the win or will this problem continuously hamper their chances? It's hard to see it really um, coming good for them at all ever since that decision to sever ties with Renault it's almost like last year with Toro Rosso things got very ugly very quickly and now there's no holds barred between the the Red Bull camp and Renault it seems as though any um, civility has really been dispensed with and uh, who knows whether Renault's going to hold back in giving them prioritised parts and go more so towards McLaren or any longer term customers. So for Red Bull, it could be a case of just uh, relying on on things not going bust and then, I don't know, another victory. It seems like as much as they've, they've really up to, um, where was it when Verstappen won at Austria, they were, they were right in the hunt to win once every two or three weekends and now they're feeling like they're they're just well adrift just purely because of uh, reliability, not for a lack of pace on the the car itself. Yeah, it's just I didn't really think we'd still be talking about Renault reliability at this point in the season, given that Red Bull have already won three races this year with both their drivers. I mean, Red Bull, here's a stat for you. Red Bull's the only team who've had both their drivers win races this year. Ferrari, they've won four races. Mercedes have won five races, but it's all between uh, Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton. So there you go. Red Bull with both Verstappen and Ricciardo have won races this season, yet, you know, we're in that position where the reliability isn't there. Um, Pierre Gasly, for Toro Rosso he finished 6th after he capitalised on a Q3 appearance both Toro Rosso's got into Q3 because of the the weather on on Saturday unfortunately for Brendan Hartley he couldn't get into the points he finished 11th just outside there but another solid result there for Gasly and he was the only guy outside of those top 5 drivers to not be lapped so you know in that Toro Rosso great job 
great drive from him again, like Bahrain. Um, behind him, then, we had uh, both Haas cars in the points too. Seventh for Magnussen, tenth for Grosjean, and a crucial weekend for them to score because their midfield rivals force India didn't. So they leapfrogged them again, sorry, in the Constructors' Championship. And then uh, for Renault, I guess uh, it would have been a terrible day or terrible feeling for Carlos Sainz because he qualified fifth on Saturday and then, yeah, not finished ninth again on Sunday. Yeah, coupled with those rumours about the the merry-go-round relating to Force India, you never know if we come to Belgium and Esteban Ocon's in that second seat if Force India can't get its act together with the exiting administration in the next few weeks. So there's plenty to play out there and and Carlos Sainz really just emphasising the way that he's not lit the world on fire and you couple that with uh, that moment where he did hamper... Vettel, it wasn't a great look for him, but for Pierre Gasly, you can see he got lucky on the Saturday, but he, he didn't lose his head on the the Sunday there. Obviously, the lack of overtaking opportunities helped his cause, but again, he, he's putting his foot forward to be that next in line. It probably won't be Carlos Sainz at this point. It's more likely that Gasly's the next cab off the rank uh, once one of the existing Red Bull drivers moves on. It might be a few years away, but he's looking like the most promising out of the last few years you could say that the Frenchman and even Hartley there as much as he didn't make a another points finish he's looking like he's really got himself together after especially that um, shake up he had at Silverstone he's bounced back nicely and he's shored up his drive if nothing else for the rest of the season without feeling as though a certain helmet Marco is breathing down his <laughs> neck yeah I was going to say that you know the fact that he if you go off the rumours that we were hearing in Canada and Barcelona, of course, he wouldn't have been on the grid. This come now anyway was Brendan Hartley. But going back to Carlos Sainz, uh, just really unfortunate, just dropped places at the start. You said he was holding, holding up Vettel. But then uh, McLaren really ruined Sainz's race too because uh, both their cars, Alonso and Van Dorn, went very long on their opening stints on the soft tyre. And they basically got into the top 10 because they looked after their tyres and were in a great position. But unfortunately, it was bittersweet in the end because uh, Stoffel Van Dorn had a gearbox retirement. I mean, he's just his luck continues to go from bad to worse and when it's getting to that crucial time of the year where you know is he going to be on the grid next year will he be replaced who will come in etc etc and to have reliability of course it was a gearbox failure in the end that crueled his chances um if things like that continue to happen then you know it's hard to then give the guy an opportunity like he needs the opportunity in a reliable car to show the results and when he is going to do that it just gets taken away from him but Alonso again in the points solid result for uh his side but uh yeah you know that really ruined Renault's race and also for Carlos Sainz you know who knows plenty to play out there that speculation that Sainz could be destined for McLaren at Van Dorn's expense and the Belgian in turn talk he might surface at at Sauber reuniting him with um Fred Vasseur so there's there's again more that we'll probably touch on next week uh the the mid-season review and uh, it's always the moment where things can get a bit out of 
hand, but for Van Dorn, it was as competitive as he's been, really. You could almost say this season, at least being in the same airspace as Alonso, and uh, it's just a shame that McLaren, this was one of their better opportunities to be towards the, the top five, and if ninth is the most that they can they can pull off, or well, was it ninth or eighth for Alonso? Yeah, it was ahead, he was ahead of science. So, so. so eighth, if eighth is as most, and we saw last year, they had one of their best results of the year at Hungry, it does make you... With the Honda engine. Yeah, no less. The the contrast, uh, it's going to be a long final nine races for them, whoever they decide to settle on. And Alonso, again, I think that deadline came through from Michael Andretti about his commitments in 2019, whether he goes stateside. So he's got a couple of weeks to really ponder whether there's going to be any progress if he sticks around for another season. Yeah, so deadline's happening everywhere um, for 2019, but let's... Day very much in the present and look at the championship standings then. So who would have thought after Silverstone that we would be going into the mid-season break with Lewis Hamilton holding a 24-point lead in the championship. So at least, you know, Seb scoring second in the end did make a big difference because it would have been 27 points if he hadn't gotten ahead. Um, and that would have been more than a race win's worth of points to recoup. So at least 24 points gives him that you know, within a race win, the 25 points you need. So if something does go wrong for Hamilton and Vettel wins a race, then um, he will be back in front. But it is, it's still a pretty big number now. It's probably the biggest it's been all season long. It's essentially been a 50-point swing since Vettel uh, crashed out at, at Hockenheim in terms of what he lost and Hamilton gained to the, the seven points he also gets for the victory at Hungary, so you see Vettel there, he probably could have been leading himself by 30 or so, and, and now he's basically a race win in arrears at circuits where Ferrari was meant to dominate, so it really um, doesn't bode well, these next two, Belgium and Italy, if Ferrari doesn't win at least one, if not both, it's, it's hard not to be pessimistic that uh, Mercedes will just continue to find ways to, to jag these victories, and before we know it, we're going to be in the last... Um, last quarter of the season, let alone the last third, and it doesn't take much really. You can see Ferrari to have another off weekend and it's going to be almost insurmountable. Yeah, exactly. And at least in the Constructors' Championship, it's a lot closer with just 10 points between Mercedes and Ferrari. But yeah, it's this is the everything up until now. You know, we sort of said, okay, that's fine, but it's what happens after the mid-season break when we get to Spa, to Monza and then Singapore is where we will watch Ferrari with bated breath because it was those races last year that basically... Specifically Singapore, that specifically yeah, summarised Singapore season. Lap one, turn one, basically, that killed the championship for them. So it's those races that I've been saying all along this season, regardless of how strong they've been in this first half, that... Those are the races that are going to be critical to this championship. Uh, not that every other race isn't, but it's those races where if they have the pace, um, that's fair enough, but they need the execution. If they execute in those races, then yeah, they certainly, we can believe firmly that this could be their championship. And let's be fair to them. They've been cruelled by the weather twice in a row and you ally that with uh, even Azerbaijan, again, safety car circumstances. They've had many moments where they've been comfortably ahead and it's yeah, just it's not gone against them, those one percenters. So yeah, it's not so as though they're completely messing up, but they do tend to uh, lose their heads when they're forced to think on their feet and that's where Mercedes seems so brilliant. Yeah, and it's not like Mercedes haven't been um, exempt to this either. They 
they've had their moments where they've been exposed or they've had luck go the wrong way for them. I mean, you look at Austria, for example, double DNF, double mechanical DNF as well at that. So um, it's going to be, it's just the way that the championship's gone this year. It's just, you don't really know what's going to happen. One minute, one person's leading the other, the next, and then reliability wise. I mean, we haven't seen Ferrari with reliability issues just yet. So, you know, that's another big question mark to think about for the second half of the season. We've seen Mercedes have their little troubles in Austria, of course, and then um, they've done some power unit changes. But are Ferrari in a bulletproof position? We don't know yet. So, yeah, that's, you know, all to come in the second half of the year. So, yeah, we're really going to look forward to that. But in the meantime, it is nice to have a little bit of a break from F1 just so we can catch up with our sleep a little bit on our Sunday nights. But um, before we stop talking about Hungary, uh, drivers of the day, easily to say, easy to say this time it was Daniel Ricciardo because we I didn't mention it before, but he started the race from 12th on the grid because they messed up qualifying in the wet conditions, didn't get out of Q2. Um, and yeah, for him to come back and just the overtakes that he was doing were just, you know, typical Daniel Ricciardo late, late on the brakes and just making a real show of it. Just a nice reminder for him. He's probably been a bit anonymous lately and it's not as though he's been driving poorly. He's just had very unlucky reliability, much like Max Verstappen did earlier on. And, and you've got to say that... Um, when you think about his situation and the way he hasn't even resolved his future beyond this season, it's really intriguing when you consider just how on song he was up to, to Monaco. It's been a strange sort of half season of, of two halves there for him and, and you do hope that he can get that stability and whatever happens for the rest of 2018, the, he knows he's going to be in a good spot moving forward. Yeah, well, so let's kick off the digest with that and the fact that that deadline that we had for Daniel Ricciardo's contract to be renewed, it's well past its due date and they've revised it to negotiating it in the mid-season break and then perhaps announcing it in Belgium either before the race or on the race weekend. So, you know, what's uh, what's the delay? You know, you've got to wonder, with is, it, is there still a chance for him to not be at Red Bull next year or is that pretty much done and dusted? What are they trying to settle on whether it's the length of the contract or terms and stuff it's well, just who knows maybe a sneaky one in relation to Sergio Marchioni passing dare we say yet could there be a spanner in the works and Ricardo becomes a player at Ferrari rather than it being a year for Raikkonen and straight into Leclerc could it be that uh, Camilleri and, and Arriva Bene have their feelers out for the Australian and he's suddenly back on the radar there well, that's certainly a possibility, not you know, not to remiss or whatever. So, yeah, it could be interesting what happens um, if that sort of gets talked about again. But, yeah, it's really hard to see him going anywhere else now except for Red Bull. It just seems that, you know, again, what promised a lot as far as a, a big-name driver perhaps on the move for next year, it's sort of fizzled down to, well, he's going to be staying put, unfortunately. But, you know, for how long and what are the terms going to be? Because, yeah, with Max Verstappen there, he's got the long-term future. What's the deal with Honda as well? Are they going to be in a position next year to, to bolster Red Bull further up the order than they already are to perhaps contesting for championships? Who knows? It's the big the big question, I guess. Yeah, it wouldn't be a surprise if Ricardo, as seems almost certain he does renew at Red Bull, it becomes a one plus one, and that could give him a bit of flexibility into 
2020. Who knows? Uh, Mercedes with Bottas also on that option. And then even Renault, Nico Hulkenberg out of contract end of 2019. Who knows where Renault will be at in 12 months. So it might be just hedging his bets there and giving himself that opportunity to to not be moored to uh, depending on how competitive Red Bull is with Honda. If it was for two seasons, you'd suddenly be um, on the other side of 30 and with reduced leverage there for his uh, really probably the, the the biggest and most important contract he's going to sign, you'd, you'd have to think is going to be, if not this one, the, the following. Yeah, well, we certainly thought, say, two months ago that this would have been the biggest contract that he would sign you know where because back then we were like oh he's definitely either going to Mercedes or to Ferrari or you know then there was that talk about McLaren and everything as well but yeah now it's sort of petered down to the fact that it will be probably staying at Red Bull but um, the position that Red Bull are in currently like at at best you know people are expecting Red Bull to perhaps just be at the same level competition wise uh, next year with the Honda power unit than they are this year so they're not really going to be making much gain it's just that Honda will have made the gains to get on the level that Ren- Renault are currently at so yeah and with a competitive Red Bull chassis as well um, that's the level they'll be at so yeah they're not going to be really competing for regular race wins are they they're all the championships so oh, it does seem again like uh, this <laughs> fanciful talk of 2021 the revolution that isn't coming to pass that that'll be the next time Time any team can really penetrate the Mercedes and Ferrari force field that, that's emerged in the last year or so and, and the rest will just be uh, making the most of the chances when the track characteristics suit them. Yeah, exactly. So enough of that. That uh, We had Toto Wolff having to clarify the comments uh, made to Valtteri Bottas about him being the best ever wingman or whatever and Bottas saying to the media after the race that he felt hurt by the comments and then of course he had to clarify all that as well so I guess just it it seems like yeah inadvertent or a bit too bluntly they said it you know you know we knew that this was sort of the case as unfortunate as it is because Bottas is a driver who let's not forget who has come to Mercedes after Nico Rosberg retired. There was animosity between Rosberg and Hamilton. And I guess just for the sake of harmony, having a driver that wasn't going to bother Hamilton too much. But at the same time, Bottas's career expectations, he would certainly be hoping that he came to Mercedes to win championships, not to be, uh, say, the Rubens Barrichello of the mob. I'm not going to say Heike Kovalainen because at least Bottas is more successful statistically and career-wise than Kovalainen ever was as Lewis Hamilton's teammate. But it's just, yeah, you know, for a driver who's not even 30 yet, who's got so much potential ahead of him, um, who we marked as a champion, let's not forget, a few years ago, uh, it's just unfortunate that he's already been relegated into this position. All it takes is a bit of luck going against him, and Mercedes doesn't require any invite to to cast him into that support role it's just a shame that um he's always up there and and doing the right things but uh Hamilton seems to just literally had the the blessed card at his side this season and uh that's that's it when you look at the um the driver's standings um he's mathematically really on on fumes for his own title bid so it's understandable now that he's being cast into that rear gunner role yeah well more than 80 points behind as i said before when we were talking about the race and um you know like all the comparisons that are made between he and Kimi Raikkonen and everything 
at least with Raikkonen, I can argue that he's sort of been there and done that. He's achieved at least a world championship. He's won, you know, more than 20 or 20 Grand Prix in his career. He's had the success and he's sort of at the end of his career now. But for someone like Bottas, who is yet to get that uh, success to achieve all that, it is a bit uh, galling, you could say, that, you know, he's already been relegated into this role. I know that's the way Formula One works. We have our number one drivers, we have our number two. But for a driver that had so much potential around him coming into the sport... Um, it's just, yeah, it's just very unfortunate. Maybe a bit of a, a left field one again, save it particularly for next week, but I could see Bottas surface at Renault in 2020. Esteban Ocon steps up from Renault himself to Mercedes in 2020, and that could be Bottas' opportunity at a manufacturer to, to lead them into success when they'll just be hitting the sweet spot. And you can think that if he's subjected to more of this um, really... Um, tactic of, of being the number two despite being just as good as as Hamilton if not for these things just not falling his way then you couldn't blame him for moving on and he's got that option there so you'd be within his right to exercise it yeah so that's a very left field thought I would never have thought of that anyway but yeah more to discuss anyway for next week um they didn't stop running at Hungary after the Grand Prix because we had two days of testing following that. And, of course, we had uh, a lot of the young development drivers in the car. Antonio Giovinazzi was fastest for Ferrari on the first day and then George Russell in the Mercedes fastest on the second day. We saw the debut of the 2019 spec front wings, the simplified wings without all the, the vanes and aerodynamic devices as they do this year, but also the debut of the psychedelic Williams car, which I thought was kind of cool, all the Flovis paint that they had to put on their car, all the development that they're doing. It's as much interest we've had in Williams this season, I think, at Probably, testing. Yeah, in a, in a positive way, at least, not negatively anyway. And Robert Kubitzer was behind the wheel of that car as well. So you'd hope that with all that testing that they did do in Hungary over the week, that it is positive. It, they can take some positives out of it for the future. But yeah, so, you know, that ended there, that test. So, and of course, uh, Bob Bell to conclude at Renault, he's stepping back from his role as the uh, chief technical officer to just being a technical advisor. So he's a guy who's been at that Endstone team for quite some time now and now stepping back, I guess, whether it's anything bigger at play here or not, or is it just his time to, he wants to step back, you know, who knows? Oh, he's had 30 years and it was uh, McLaren and Mercedes as well as, um, Enstone in various guises as Renault or whatever or Benetton through the years and now he's seen them through that formative return. I think it's the right moment for the the next generation to, to see that transition to uh, hopefully the point where they're back in contention for victories in the next year or so. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see how uh, things move on there quickly as well uh, while we're talking about technical staff as well. So with the signing of James Key by McLaren, uh, what was sort of overlooked was the fact that um, their chief designer for many years, Matt Morris, uh, stepped down as well, which means that McLaren have got no, effectively no designer for a 2019 car at this stage because um, Toro Rosso aren't certainly letting James Key go all of a sudden um, without some kind of gardening leave or compensation. So yeah, what does that mean for McLaren already on the back foot for 2019 with no uh, designer there for the car? I think it means that we're going to be seeing a hasty deal to install a Lando Norris or someone 
none of that ilk at Toro Rosso for next year to smooth the, the transition to James Key. Otherwise, you'll not be joining McLaren until basically this time next year. Basically, yeah. So, you know, how are they going to design the car? And, you know, do they just get someone uh, temporary on a temporary contract or whatever? Or just, yeah, well, what's the go? So, you know, already on the back foot, you could say in that respect. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how things pan out anyway and talk more McLaren next week when we're on the mid-season review. So let's do our big discussion then for this week. And um, the big news obviously coming into the Hungarian Grand Prix was uh, Force India and um, the unfortunate state that they're in and placed under administrated administration Sorry, ahead of the Grand Prix in Hungary. Um, let's talk about that and also the ramifications to come from it because there's plenty of uh there's plenty of fallout whether it's just for the team or for the sport as a whole so just giving you some background i guess what had happened is uh sergio perez his uh wealth of backers mercedes-benz and of course the uh, water company bwt which sponsors the team they all pushed for this to happen uh for them to be placed under administration now they were all owed uh serious amount of money basically which hadn't been for x amount of time been paid and checo highlighted in a press release saying that you know to do this was the best outcome to protect the jobs of the staff you know basically to make sure that they get paid their wages and to ensure some kind of future for them at the team or for the team itself so we saw that uh, Rich Energy, who were long linked with perhaps taking a takeover of Force India, they did a last-minute deal to invest £30 million into the team, but ultimately was not enough to save them from the other investors who were pushing for uh, a resolution. Just shows how serious it is and the, the shambles that it's come to this when there have been legitimate offers in the past who knows what the the figure has been but the stubbornness of vj malia means this is the outcome and and you can't blame perez and co for taking the action and it's for the best as you see past any sinister motive selfish nature there just to recoup their own um finances it's it's more so to do with the security of, of the workers there just to get things moving instead of having a almost terminal decline to the point where there's absolutely no point of return and you just hope the next few weeks something is found and they're on the grid come belgium and beyond whichever guys that might be and, and next season's when they'll really I guess, emerge with a, a new identity and someone who's really committed to doing what's best for everyone there, not for their own personal um, gain. And just really um, hard not to just be yeah, a bit miffed at, at VJ Malia and, and co for running the team into the ground despite all they've achieved on track. Well, that's you've hit the nail on the head there, basically, saying that, you know, despite what they've achieved on track, it just seemed, you know, it's unfair that they're in this predicament um in the sense that you know certain people are stubborn and they didn't want to bail out when the time was right and you know given the fact that this team is probably one of the best on the grid as far as bang for buck is concerned now they scored a podium again this year um uh, that came at baku with sergio perez so you know even though they've got rivals ahead of him as far as constructors points are concerned and overall pace they still manage to get these results that keep them in that 
sort of upper echelon of the midfield and for a team that doesn't invest a whole lot of money into development into research or whatever they still get the results which is the crucial thing in the end you I mean you could spend a whole lot of money on research and development and all these resources but still not be able to execute whereas Force India are the opposite you know they keep executing but don't have the money to to do all that development and they don't have all those resources so it would be sad yeah indeed if um the whole team had to fold altogether but you know hopefully a resolution has come from this but as far as you know what does the future mean and everything well we heard this week earlier that um rival teams are apparently trying to thwart the administrator's efforts to to sell the team and it's all to do with prize money of course is that if they sell the team it becomes a new entity it has to then be rewritten into the Concord Agreement to which they're bound by and then the prize money there's a bit of unbalance in that and this is you know we talk about selfishness before with certain individuals this is now the rival team's selfishness coming in rather than seeing one of their uh, competitors um, on the grid there as a benchmark to be able to race against they'd rather it yeah you know if it isn't in our best interest then well stuff them yeah, as much as you can understand a, a Williams or a McLaren with their recent hardships, they've got to play it from their own well-being. But at the same time, um, you just feel that what if they are in the same position and, and they are expecting an olive branch there and as as mainstays would force India then return the favour if it ever came to pass. But um, it seems as though there's no room for sentiment whatsoever and uh, it's just a shame considering that they have a, a place on the the grid and um, whatever the outcome is there, you can see going back to a, a manor when the, there were several offers there from the, the owner at the time and that one fell through and they fell off the grid just when we thought they were maybe getting their act together. So uh, it's no um, formality yet that Force India will continue. So uh, it's very much a tedious time these these next three weeks, a lot to play and it changes day by day. Yeah, it does. And I guess uh, let's quickly talk about what does the future hold as well as far as the drivers are concerned and perhaps potential owners, future drivers. So, you know, what happens to Esteban Ocon? And it's you said it before, he could be in a Renault seat as early as Belgium. So, you know, the fact that, you know, it looks more likely that Ocon will be at Renault next year for sure for 2019 um, who does Checo stay or does he go like you know the fact that he and his investors pulled the pin on this whole uh, push for the administration thing there means there could be a slight chance that he stays at Force India I mean he's been a great asset to the team since he got kicked out of McLaren in 2013 he's been on the, the with the same team ever since and he's had all those podiums as well to his name so he'd be a great um, driver to, for them to retain but you know who comes in now and this re- relates to who puts the money into the team so the Stroll family now have long been linked to this uh, with uh, Lance Stroll currently at Williams not doing so well because of the team in their shocking state does Lawrence Stroll the father take his billions and move his son over to Force India certainly gives Lance a better benchmark as well to demonstrate his skill in Formula One of course he's got that podium to his name last year he had some good results here and there but you know this year really hasn't been the greatest because of that Williams car so does that give Stroll a chance next year and how about the Mazepan family as well because Nikita Mazepan who's in GP3 at the moment he's been 
testing for Force India for about a year now. So, you know, they're certainly, they certainly have the money and could they want to push uh, young Nikita into the into Formula One and into Force India. Oh, the Force India and the new owners appreciate oligarchs, then there's every chance that uh, Nikita Mazepin will, will surface well, there. And well, it's not really much an improvement from VJ Malia, is it, then, if that's the case? They're better than a, a benign despot, you might say, but uh, there's always different shades of uh, characters around the, the paddock, so nothing will be a surprise if the, the new owners have their own motives but uh, I think for Stroll as much as you can say that he doesn't really justify his place on the grid it would be nice to see him in a in a car if Force India had similar competitiveness uh, into next season and just to see what he can really do when he hasn't got a, a lump like the Williams has been really just going backwards ever since he joined and alongside Sergio Perez as well it would be a better benchmark for him not that he didn't have that last year with Felipe Massa but this year alongside poor Sergei Sorotkin who I guess in that same situation just in a lump of a car and can't really learn from it so next year next to Sergio Perez if Lance Stroll's in the car in a car that's proven I guess to be a top of the midfield contender you know it would be better for Stroll too so yeah it's just it's going to be something that we've got to be watching closely over the mid-season break is how Force India what the predicament and how it all pans out and you know, whether there's going to be all these changes for Belgium, you know, whether they're on the grid or not, and whether they have certain drivers moving, you know, Ocon to Renault, etc., etc. So, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty huge. And um, yeah, just from the sake of competition, for the sake of the sport, we certainly hope that we do have that team on the grid for next year and for the future. Yeah, 10 teams, I think it's the, the minimum. Of course, back in the, the day, they had uh, most frequently 13 on the grid, and it's hard to believe ever getting back to that number. We got close in 2010, and, and so when we had, I think, the 12 teams, but 10 or 11, I think, anything less than it doesn't seem sustainable without that debate of a third entry for at least, uh, if not all, then some teams. So you, you do hope that they can continue and they have their place on, on the grid and, and whatever the next chapter is, the new identity, whatever the drivers are, then clearly they're still going to make a, a contribution. Yeah, exactly. So uh, more on Force India, I guess, next time when we do our mid-season break, we'll talk more about what they've achieved this year on track um, instead of all the off-track dramas that they seem to be embroiled in. But uh, yeah, let's wrap things up with our sporting moments of the week. And um, a couple stood out for me this week, actually, and one of them, once again, is a, is a blooper. We'll start off with that, and that was over in IndyCar land with Alexander Rossi. After winning the race in mid-Ohio, decides to beach his car whilst trying to do burnout. So another little blooper moment. But then I also was pretty taken aback by seeing young Mick Schumacher win his first F3 race, and uh, coincidentally at Spa, the same circuit that his dad had so much success at as well in Michael winning his first Formula One Grand Prix there. So, you know, good on young Mick for doing that. Still in F3, developing away, and perhaps, you know, on the road to F1 in a couple of years' time. I dare say he'll get more publicity next season when that United European, whatever, Italian F3 comes on track with the what is currently GP3. When they, they merge, they'll have quite a strong field. You think Mick Schumacher will be in that... Um, contention there so you'll see a lot more coverage of him as part of the Grand Prix weekends itself and hopefully within two or three years he'll be 
he'll be in contention for an, an F1 seat and hopefully not before his time. He's still got a long way to go, but it's clear that he, he does have the talent and, and that breakthrough will give him a lot of confidence. But yeah. Ex- I, I think um, from from that to, to my sporting moment of, of the week, again, it's a shame to say it's the dreaded knee, so it's not a good note. And again, relating to Collingwood and just the... The harrowing side of, of Matthew Scharenberg now a third time he's um, he's done his knee another 12 months on the sidelines beckons and as a, a high draft pick for, for Collingwood five years ago he, he just can't take a, a trick and just when he, he got that consistency this season he looked like he really belonged and as much as Collingwood um, they had a, a gallant defeat to Richmond and a lot of positive signs there it was hard not to be more deflated by the, the side of Scharenberg again being really inconsolable and, and you just hope that he's got that fortitude to, to bounce back like a Nick Natanui mentioned a few weeks ago, some of these individuals who have so much to offer and they just literally um, for one reason or another their bodies just let them down Yeah, I think that's the third week in a row you've brought up someone's knee injury um, it's not great at all but um, I guess yeah going back to Collingwood it would have we would have thought that rather than having more players injured now coming to that crucial time of the year that you'd be getting all those guys at the start of the year that were out coming back to the team to strengthen it so yeah it's a it's a pretty big loss then when you think about it but you know uh, they were talking earlier about Tyson Goldsack uh, being left out again this week just to wait till he's just right before he comes back and he's had that long layoff too from injury so really the coach choosing the time not to risk him again but yeah to make sure that he's fully fit before the comeback it does seem as though for every player that returns two or three (laughs) bite the dust and a lot of the players that are set to return they aggravate an injury just as they're about to come back in so it's at a point where it's a very threadbare lineup and finals are fast approaching so if they can't actually just get a team on the park you wonder what chance they're going to have when it comes down to the pointy end yeah it's going to be pretty crucial and then this weekend of course with the game against Sydney you don't want to have three consecutive losses now after such a good run um, in that middle part of the season which saw you as high as second on the ladder oh they they won they won last week of course between the West Coast game and Richmond so they're at least still third on the ladder but if they lost this one they could fall to as low as eighth that's how congested it is is indeed so yeah um interesting times there whereas in nrl land uh cowboys are in the race to avoid the wooden spoon so you know it's it's progress contrasting contrasting tales of cross both codes for both our teams but anyway um glad to have a little bit of time away from f1 this weekend of course we've got sydney's uh V8 Supercar Race, the Super Night event coming up this weekend. Of course, MotoGP comes back as well. So it'd be nice to see something else for a change as well. But uh, yeah, just nice to have a little bit of a break. And um, until we do our little mid-season review, I think that's all that we have time for today. Absolutely. I think, yeah, hard-earned break for, for both of us and everyone involved in F1. Hopefully they're F1's yeah, more the so last though, thing on their more, mind. More so those guys needed more of a break than we do, but... The 11 o'clock races are really killing us, but yeah, we can't really do much about that except for change our own time zones perhaps. But anyway, thanks for tuning in this week and we'll see you guys in our mid-season review. Till then.